and welcome to episode 10 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 1st of May 2017. I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse. Hello all. Phelim. Hey, how's it going? And Ike. How are you? Ah, good, good. So, you're back, Phelim, finally. I am. I'm alive. Good to have you back. You've missed all of this Ubuntu stuff, but thankfully it's still in the news, a few episodes on. So let's start with that then, I suppose. It turns out that Wayland and Gnome are going to be default in the next version of Ubuntu 17.10. We knew it was going to be in 18.04, the LTS, but it looks like they're fast-tracking this. That's a sort of standard move pre-LTS, isn't it? You don't want to drop something as big as a display server into your LTS in case there's any kind of hiccups or nasties you hadn't predicted. So get it in one before and and try out, you know, try to iron out those bugs. Yeah, it makes sense. So I know we've talked about this a lot. What is your take on it all, Phelim? I know you are a KDE Neon user, so presumably you don't give a shit about any of it. Well, obviously, I'd like to add that I feel sorry for people who lost their jobs. <clears throat> so, I mean, you know, get that out of the way. But otherwise, yeah, okay, maybe I don't care too much. I mean, I've seen a lot of people in KDE community going, oh, you should use KDE. You can turn that into Unity and we all be brilliant. Mm. I, to be honest, don't think we should get on that one at all. Uh, I think you should just, you know, let Shuttleworth and those guys do what they want and we, we do our own thing. I don't think we need that type of thing. It would have been obviously good to have maybe more QT developers about the place that might come to their senses and realize that they could just have the best thing ever and use KDE. But uh, yeah, not not really a big deal. What would be great, though, is the fact that they'll be using Wayland. Um, that's that's good for drivers. It's good for more testing. And, you know, I think they that's one thing that Ubuntu have done really, really good has been the fact that they got right stuck in with QA and, you know, they, they sort of made it to the point where you could upgrade the release and just go, of course, it's going to work. So if they can bring that along to Wayland, that'd be brilliant. And who else is shipping Wayland as, as default? Is it Fedora? Are there anyone else that's doing it at the moment? Arch. <laughs> <laughs> it just It just seems that Wayland is the one that, you know, everyone keeps on saying, oh, it's good that Ubuntu is moving over to Wayland. Then you don't get this um, disparate use of Mir and Wayland and, and the sort of competition that's unnecessary. Might as well back one display server and, and like you said, fail him, get all the benefits of that. And I'm just sort of surprised that there's not, you know, I'm not thinking of Sousa on it. I'm not thinking of um, any of the other sort of big names that are on it. And it, it seems strange that there's there's no one using it or as the default at the moment. I'm waiting for Ike to chime in here and tell us all why. <laughs> no, I wasn't really going to say why. Um, I'm just thinking back to recently when I had to disable Wayland in Solus. You know, there are problems and they're going to continue to be problems. It's not mature enough yet. Um, but I'm sure, you know, with Ubuntu defaulting to it, some of those issues will start to evaporate, even though a lot of it's happened over on the Fedora side for the bugs. But, you know, I mean, when people keep going on for Wayland now, they're not really talking about the technological superiority or anything like that, because most of the statements that are made about it, it's like, it solves all screen tearing. If the drivers are done right, sure. You know, if the compositor is done right, because people are forgetting Wayland is a protocol. You know, it's not a server. Like with Mirror, that was a server. Xorg is a server. In the Wayland model, your compositor is effectively the server, i.e. Mother, Compass, or anything like that would be what would take that place. And, you know, people talking about it nowadays, it's like, we must have Wayland everywhere. It's like, why? Because it's the next cool thing. Oh, okay. Is it ready yet? 
Hmm. Did you Google Chrome work with it yet? Um, what about your Steam games? Ooh. So, yeah, it's got a while to go. I mean, it is cool. You know, it takes away all of the clutch that's been in Xorg for years. But it ain't there yet. So you think it's a mistake for them to throw it in this early then? Not at all, because, I mean, they've got until however long it is, you know, like, about six months or so now to get it all sorted out and make sure that everything that's X-dependent or slightly X-dependent goes on to X-Wayland. I'm sure they'll figure that out easy enough. That was always the problem with Mir, wasn't it? Getting X-Mir working so hmm. that you, you got the, the applications that just won't work with Mir that would actually work on it as a result of X-Mir. So I suppose that's probably where they're going to pour a lot of development into. Yeah, I mean, I got six months or so to do it, you know, like, as long as all the apps are working out of the box and then when the, say, like the NVIDIA driver is installed, that if it's able to use the new Wayland NVIDIA EGL stuff that it can, if not, it falls back to X. As long as the fallbacks actually work, don't really see it being a problem. It's when they don't that there is a big problem. Yeah, that's, that's where KDE is at the moment, unfortunately, because they don't sort of agree with the way that NVIDIA's done the EGL streams and stuff. And I think, I think Red Hat paid for GNOME to sort of do them essentially um i don't know where they tie in to be quite honest graphics blah whatever but um all i know is that my graphics card is gonna become null and void essentially once it does become default so well what they're doing is basically if it's not supported then you don't get wayland because if you've got like the proprietary nvidia drivers now um because all the the wayland stuff basically relies on kms with you know kernel mode setting yeah. If none of that's important and you're using the drivers, which I'm incapable of saying correctly. Nouveau. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to help. <laughs> if you're using those guys and it can initialize it properly anyway, most of them are just falling back to X. I say gracefully. <laughs> it wasn't always the case. I mean, no one's getting better at it. Like As long as all of those fallbacks are in place properly, then yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. I mean... Things like X Wayland, there is going to be a performance overhead to that, and you are going to notice it. So, if you do then put on your NVIDIA drivers, it might be slightly better. If you're on KDE Plasma, you're going back to X anyway. So, I think for most people worrying about the drivers, it's not really an issue. So, essentially, you're going to have to dual boot, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you're just going to be stuck on X anyway, so. I have a special login just to play Flight Gear. <laughs> and then I could just use Nouveau for the other one. All right, well, uh, let's sort of keep it on the topic vaguely. Um, and I'm pleased to say that almost every other podcast that I've heard talk about Unit E, uh, this Y-U-N-I-T thing, the fork of Unity 8, Almost everyone else has called it Unit and not Unity because it's a stupid fucking name. That was the funniest thing last week. <laughs> unit. <laughs> the problem is, is having reread it, I can't decide whether it's Unite, Unit, or Unity. They just absolutely it's a, it's a classic Linux name that it's impossible to even read, and we have to discuss that. I've gone for Unit. I, I thought it was Why Unit, but anyway. <laughs> No, I mean, if it's Yonit, then it would be more like Who Yonit? <laughs> well, whatever. Anyway, it seems that that is a bit of a chaotic project anyway with no future, as far as I can see. They've decided to initially base their community around Reddit. Great move, guys. Yeah, that's really going to work. And th there's just been, well, just chaos, really. Community chaos. They, no one seems to know what's going on, and there seems to be just poor leadership and not 
any real direction. A lot of will, a lot of um, enthusiasm for we're going to keep Unity 8 going, but at the same time, they don't really have a, a viable plan to do that by the looks of things. Yeah, so to sort of make the flesh out the point that Joe's making, uh, they were apparently having a decision on what their logo should be and clearly uh, pass it out to the community for people to submit logos and, and then vote on them. Uh, and the response, as you said, on Reddit is uh, from... This is... Well, Jay Salatas... I can't find a longer name than that, so we'll just go with this as... as <laughs> I'm not helping you out, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's made a post following this logo decision that says, seems the community is too stupid and irresponsible to decide even for the simplest things like a stupid logo, as there are many votes coming in for random and used names like la 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 la. So the logo will just be an empty circle to remind you all how stupid and irresponsible the community is. <laughs> now... That is clearly a very <laughs> angry man. <laughs> that That's great community management, isn't it? He just needed a sandwich, he would have been fine. Exactly, exactly. And I, so I mean, any, anyone who is the sole uh, leader of a group and comes out with those sorts of things, I think if they are able to see that they're not a suitable leader and they're able to say, look, we need uh, a group or a community or, or some nominated members to, to be a panel, then they've at least recognised the issue. And, and they have put up uh, a post with a leadership plan of having a council of seven members, uh, three from the development team, three from the community, and a, and a swing seat. Uh, and and how they're going to do votes differently, because apparently, you know, the uh, the manipulation of the voting system they've had on, or maybe it's not just the logo, but other things, has, has sort of come down as as uh, not being fit for purpose. So they've, they've sort of put, put together a few ideas of how they're going to change that. But it does show that, you know these these fledgling communities or, or um, teams are very difficult to to start sometimes, and if you get the wrong people at the top, uh, you you know you have to just be you have to tread carefully, don't you? Well, yeah. And speaking of which, look at UbiPorts. So UbiPorts started as basically um, just porting Ubuntu Touch to other devices, like the OnePlus One, for example, and the Nexus Five, I think. Whereas now they have decided, or should I say he has decided, Marius Gripsgard, I think, um, he has decided that they're going to carry on and, and basically fork it effectively. And meanwhile, the the rest of the team were like, hang on, you don't seem to be listening to us. And you, you're making all these decisions for us. And we want to have a say in that. And so they wrote an open letter to him, which I thought was a bad idea, but whatever. And now it seems to be sorted out, but uh, at least one community member has left. It doesn't really matter to me. It, the whole thing is just, again, just mismanagement. It's just people trying to take on too much, I think. It's it, it just further fallout. The thing is, criticize Canonical all you want. At least they had full-time devs working on this stuff. And you think that they had full-time devs working on it for all that time and still couldn't get it to a stage where it was ready. Are a few community projects going to be able to do that? And maybe I'm just in a negative mood at the moment, but I, I just can't see it happening. It just seems like they've just taken on too much. I couldn't understand the problem with this open letter. They seem to say there's a group of us who are, you know, 
um, writing code and trying to get UB ports working and whether or not they agree with his idea, let's put that to one side. It was more the way that he did it, the more the way there was no um, clear definition or milestones, what was going to happen. Uh, and they had some, they clearly had some pent up issues as to the way that he was doing releases and what have you. But then they sort of, three days later come out and say oh we shouldn't have written this letter and you know it was rude and we apologize for the way and there's all these complaints or what have you but i don't really see i thought the letter was quite well written and quite rounded and if you're going to put your grievances to someone why wouldn't you do it this way well they claimed that they tried to do it privately and that hadn't worked and they had to resort to going public with it but it just undermines any confidence that anyone had in the project, as far as I'm concerned. And now it just looks really bad. It looks like just they haven't got their shit together enough to stop things like this going public. It, it just to me, it just does not look good. But but it seems that they've they've come to a resolution. Well, some of them have, and some of them haven't. Is the bottom line publicly they have, but as I said, at least one person, the other Marius, has left. And officially, I, I asked him, I spoke to him privately about it, and the only quote he would give me is, I haven't really got time anymore. I'm going to concentrate on other things. But look, read between the lines. There is, you know, upset within that small team, it seems, and not all of them were happy with the resolution that has happened here. But, I mean, it's all irrelevant anyway, because it's a dead platform, surely. I mean, can, can anyone really look at Unity 8 or Ubuntu Touch and tell me that that is not a dead platform and that within a year or two, it's good people will have basically stopped development on it. Yeah, I agree. Treading water is the, the most I expect to see from it. Yeah. If you're lucky, you might get some security updates for existing devices. But I mean, if Canonical with all of Shuttleworth's millions couldn't make it work, how are a small team going to they're just it's just not going to happen i'm reading other lines here and there's like a common pattern between this i mean on the one hand with one project we've got a, a failure of leadership you know and with this one we have objection to leadership because the specific things are being called out in this is being a single point of failure and i'm noticing this pattern and it's a little bit deviant from the point here but there is this strong pattern now in projects that everything must be an open democracy managed and owned by everyone. And mm. it's like people are trying to get, basically trying to get rid of people like me, you know, the, the spearhead of the operation. And I don't think that works for all projects. I don't think being the spearhead of a project always works. Sometimes they need to be, but I think chasing an open democracy for every single project, I mean, you, you sap the passion and viability of a project by doing that. So maybe that's what they realized after doing the open letter. Maybe, but I mean, you have some stuff like Debian that works really well that way. And then you have Solus, which has got a benevolent dictator for life. Like, you know, like you. So, well, I mean, you get on other projects as well. You get a, a Ubuntu, PHP, you know, they're, they're around. Mm. But this seemed like um, an outright eject, a rejection of leadership. I mean, you know, there are some points out that making it valid, but then there are other ones, which is, you know, what happens if you get hit by a bus? You know, I mean, I've seen me ask that before. It's like, well, what can I do if I'm dead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't care at that point, so whatever. It's, it's not even about not caring, but to strip the ability from someone because they want to lead, because 
who will lead if they die is, you know, it's like, it's kind of like saying about like a prime minister, isn't that? You have contingency plans just because I'm really going to probably go to prison for even saying this, but say like if a prime minister of a country was to be shot, right? Somebody else steps up and does it. Just because there is the possibility of him getting shot, should there then be no prime minister? Yeah. You know, obviously there is a democracy underneath that as well. Kind of a bad example. But, you know, you do have effectively a triangle of leadership, to use a really cheesy, corny term. <laughs> and that seems to be getting rejected out, right? Conjoined triangles of success. That <laughs> <laughs> but if you're saying that, you know, oh, when I die, who cares? You know, you don't care, clearly. Oh, no, that's not I what I said. Okay, okay, you didn't say that. I said, so, what can I do? <laughs> what can you do? But you would, would, would you want Solus to carry on? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you must have ways for people to, you know, take your work or take the, you know, the keys to the um, the servers and the SSH information and all that kind of stuff. They would be shared in the event of my kicking said bucket, but not before. But do you think there are projects that are too big to have a single person at the top of them? I mean, you know, Debian's a good example where you don't have that and it seems to be running very nicely. Whereas some of the smaller projects, like the ones we've been covering, and I'm going to put Solus in that group as well, if you don't mind, mm. it, it works having a single uh, vision. For an extent. That's kind of For like your extent. bootstrap of the community. You're, you know, you're the initial one that comes in there with the big loud mouth and gets things done, and you go rush around and do things. But it does get to a point where it starts to outgrow your own capabilities. But that's when it gets to a point. I mean... Solos is headed on that path, don't get me wrong. At some point, he's going to have to say, it's like, okay, we need some kind of structure here, right? We need some kind of board. But until then, not really. You know, like, it's still valid to have that single leader. That's kind of my view on it, anyway. And I'd say Ubiports is probably smaller. Well, sort of dragging this back to the news doc, and I'm afraid reshuffling a little bit there, Joe, I think this ties in nicely with the, the Libra boot point of view about... We had uh, a news story right at the beginning of uh, Late Night Linux um, that Libreboot had uh, cut ties from GNU in order to, um, well, because GNU had fired someone, there was something about trans- transgender in there. and We'll, we'll just steer clear of that because we've covered that. Um, and then there was a sort of all, all sort of uh, issues last time about the fact that as a team, they wanted to not have this one person solely responsible. And so she had apologized and they'd written all these sorts of things. And now it turns out that they're looking at looking at rejoining the GNU Foundation. And so this is just another example of, you know, teams and collaborators and leaders and what should our community look like and how do we have a hierarchy and who's in charge and all those sorts of questions. Maybe there needs to be some kind of standard model for projects. I know it's a case of throwing more standards after more standards, but there probably is a standardized approach that does work and one that is scalable because, you know, we do know that the single point of failure one, while beneficial in the early days of a project, you know, it has a stretching and a breaking point. It can only go so far. If the project is not bootstrapped by that point, it's probably going to fail. Being part of a bigger project, you know, you get to share resources over people. You've got bug trackers and mailing lists and things. Maybe there just needs to be a standard uh, approach to new projects. 
You need a uh, a flow chart, a decision chart, don't you? Of, kind of do. Are yeah. you smaller than this? Are you bigger than that? Are you trying to change the world? Are you know? Are you maintaining this only? And and try and work out what sort of because like, like you're saying, there's not just two. There's not the benevolent dictator and um, uh, democratic. There's sort of slightly in between ones. And how big is that democracy? And how are you voting the people in and out and all those sorts of things? Um, you know, is it hereditary? Do that. Do it that way. Uh, and and. If you had those as all the options, then you might be able to just have a simple, or well, not so simple, uh, tree system. Well, can I put forward a suggestion here? So Libreboot have applied to uh, rejoin GNU, and I also saw that they are looking to transfer the control of their domain name as well. They wanted to send it to the FSF, but then someone vetoed that, and then they were looking at um, conservancy. Um, it, it just seems that... Okay, well, Libreboot are very copyleft centric, so that kind of makes sense for them to to align themselves with the FSF. But on one hand, you've got GNU and FSF, you know, they're real hardcore copyleft people, and then you've got the Linux Foundation, which are just pure corporate interests. Let's say, is there room for a third organization that is more community driven? is more open to more permissive licenses um, uh, that could um, kind of shepherd uh, these smaller projects and give them guidance and stuff um, and kind of centralize things to some extent, um, centralized support, I suppose. So like the Apache incubator, but modern and relevant. Yeah. I managed to insult twice there while paying a compliment. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but yeah, does something exist that could be brought up to date or do we need something new or am I barking up the wrong tree here? I think we had a similar sort of discussion to this uh, on Luddites when, when we are doing that and we sort of came around to the conclusion that Mozilla would be that group as, as you know, um, free software advocates but with sort of a pragmatic approach. Well, they've certainly got the money, haven't they? Would it be, um, you know, down the back of the sofa for them? To, to scrape together a few pennies to set something up and you know with a few support staff or something just people who know what they're doing and can can help smaller projects thrive and develop and not have all these community management issues and you know big blow-ups in public and they might do something relevant with it as opposed to a nonsense phone os that goes nowhere <laughs> maybe maybe i bought two i'm still bitter <laughs> which ones did you buy um, the stupid orange one, which was useless, and then the Geeks Phone white one, that was also yeah. useless. No, give it, give it more of a description. I preferred stupid orange phone. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, you know what? I tried to erase most of it out of my mind. I was so bitter and disgusted. Fair enough. It wasn't exactly pricey or anything, but it was just junk. Uh, ZTE Open, I think. Yes, that's it. Yes, it's all flooding back now. Mm. We had the ZT Open C, and that was shit. So God knows how bad the first one was. <sighs> bad, but look on the bright side, Phelan. You know, like you can look back in twenty years and still remember buying it. <laughs> I'll probably still have it. I'm gonna <laughs> nail it to the wall so I never do that again. But I mean, you've you've touched on the failure of uh, uh, I can't remember what well, Firefox OS there, um, and there's you know recently been Ubuntu Touch failing. What we need is a team or a group that can sort of harmonize all of these different Linux-based phone operating systems into one working perfect project, don't we? It would be nice, wouldn't it? 
Halium? Halium? How do you pronounce this? I'd say it's Halium, but... It's only got one L, though, so who knows? It's one of those uh, Linuxy words where you Jeff. never have to... Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, let's it's not It's as relevant. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there seems to be a good plan here, um, and they talk about the, the classic XKCD comic where they said there's 14 competing standards what do we need another standard and then we have four, uh, 15 standards and they seem to have this dream that they will create a standard that will be the standard and looking down the list of people who are involved in this one of them jumps out marius gripsgard the uh, ubiports fella and given the chaotic state of that which okay that's maybe a little bit unfair but I don't know. Do do we have much faith in this? The idea that the reality is that because of Android and the drivers and everything, almost, well, basically all of these mobile OSs that are based on Linux have some stuff in common and there's a lot of duplication of effort. And this is looking to minimize that because you've got Plasma Mobile, Selfish, Ubuntu, whatever happens to that. Um, Asteroid OS, which is the um, the smartwatch one. And Loon OS, which I had never heard of, don't even know what that is. But do we think that there's any point in this, or is it just time to surrender? Even Microsoft are getting to the point where they're going to kill officially. I think um, Windows Phone. Like, do we just surrender? You've got iOS, you've got Android, and that's it. Yes, God, please stop. Just stop with the phones. I mean, like in current technological terms, you may as well be developing for a Palm Pilot because this market is completely saturated. And by the time you come to market with anything that's remotely near fruition, one, you have no apps for anyone. And that's why these things keep failing because guess what? They have no apps. Well, apart from Ubuntu Touch, but we don't talk about that. It's just not a relevant market anymore because it's already completely saturated. You have, you have Android. You got like those two guys in Washington who have Windows Phone and they use NFC on it and they absolutely love it. But the rest of the world is using iOS or Android. Why would you try and penetrate an impenetrable market that is backed by the biggest technology company in the world and the biggest advertising company in the world? How the hell can you go up against them? You know, I mean, I've wanted to see things, Linux based effort actually move somewhere, but it, it's too little too late. You should be focusing on being ready for the next technology instead of trying to retroactively apply current Linux to phones that already exist. It doesn't make any sense. That's not how you go for a market. You know, you, you're there to launch when something comes out. Like, should have been ready for smartwatches if you wanted to do anything. But phones that have already been held for years and we're starting to move on to different form factors, just give up, man. <laughs> I mean, best of luck and everything. I'd like to say, no, don't. But uh, <laughs> I, I think everybody wants to be next Samsung or Apple. And I don't think everybody needs to be like that. I don't think they're, you know, there's, it's like all the, the sort of boutique uh, mobile manufacturers out there. I think there's definitely a place for that type of thing where you can say, I, I'm going to make laptops that appeal to people who like Linux and yeah, you know, system 76, Enterware, tuxedo, whatever you've got yourself, you know, they're not Dell's and they're not Apple. They still make a profit and they still do well. I think that should be 
impossible for people to do that with phones as well, because there can't be just the two, because both of them are as close as the other. Google likes to pretend it's open, but every single step they take, they're getting more and more closed to the point where their kernel is not going to even be, you know, enough that that's a GPL piece of code in there. Well, hang on, can I just destroy your analogy, though? Because the thing is that you can buy a, a machine from from Dell or Toshiba or whatever, one of the, the massive laptop manufacturers, and you can install Linux on it or you can install Windows on it or you can make your own OS for it, whatever, because it's x86 and it's much more open and much easier. As open is the wrong word, but it's easier to have generic operating Accessible, systems on there. maybe? Yeah, I suppose accessible. But that's you got your other, uh, you know, connotations. But anyway, whereas with phones, um, it's each individual phone has its each individual ROM. Yeah, well, that's stupid though. That's the problem. They need to just stop having their own egos, where they think, oh, you know what, we're going to do it so much better than all the rest. If they had something like Halium that they could stick to, maybe they could standardize on a set of components. We might get a de facto non-Android, non-Apple phone, and that you could use as a you know, open base phone. 2018 or something like that and then they can work on that and then you know in two years and go and i will upgrade it to this if i'm selling components to it who do i care who buys it and you know they go on oh but you'll have to license the uh, the the driver for the mobile network so you know just do it once don't change it just lock it off like it's a horrible nasty piece of software that it will be anyway and then don't let it you know have full access to the memory on the phone, things like that. Firewall it off. Like I don't allow my internet provider have access into my network inside my house. Do the same with that, and then do it once. And you know what? That's it. Just leave it like that. But we've already tried this once. It was called Tizen. Yeah. Okay. Try it better. And that was Linux Foundation. But <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. Try it better. But I mean, to go with your one. Yes. In terms of the niche markets, like you have for System Seventy Six, and you know, like Linux laptop vendors. That does exist, but I think the problem everyone has at the moment, and I think you highlighted there yourself, is trying to recreate the Android success story. It's not going to happen. Yeah, but I don't think they have to, though. That's the problem. Well, no, because then you're not differentiating. You're just you're trying to recreate what somebody has already done, and they've already dominated the market, and you're trying to recreate that using now open technologies when the average consumer isn't going to go out and get it because they already have it on the devices they're getting. You you cannot use the same recreation of a story if your market is not the same because you're not going to attain the same success. So from that point of view, these efforts are absolutely pointless. However, if you're looking to create a new standard platform and you're not trying to recreate the success, then by all means go for it. But I have not seen any evidence from that. But I mean, yeah, I'm mostly positive about it. <laughs> yeah, you said <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Uh... Speaking of the the next wave of technology that we should be chasing with Linux, let's talk about IoT and EdgeX Foundry, which is the open interop platform for the IoT Edge. Now, I read through this uh, vendor-neutral open source project hosted by the Linux Foundation, okay, building a common open framework for industrial IoT edge computing. And then I just got so lost in corporate bullshit speak that I lost interest, really. Sounds like a good idea, but uh, it, I suppose you, with it's aimed at industry, so it has to have a lot of industry bullshit. Yeah, I, I can't really take it seriously, though, because I didn't see a hacker with a balaclava on at any point, so <laughs> I'm not worried about them. <laughs> no padlocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the first sentence you covered there, Joe, 
does basically say it all. You know, it's a Linux foundation and they're trying to build a common open framework for IoT stuff. And then the rest of it is just pure gobbledygook of ecosystems, interoperable components, uncertainty, accelerate time to market, fine, what have you. But looking at the the people they have on their list of standards, uh, Zigbee, Z-Wave, N-Ocean, Kenex, things, you know, things that are used for current um, home... Uh, you know, home activity jobbies where you turn the lights on or you want uh, your camera out the front to to communicate with your server and all these sorts of things. They're, they're, these are names that I see and recognize from various um, uh, vendors and, and developers. And you you can't use a Z-Wave device with a Zigbee setup. So you have to have either two systems in parallel or just go all in one and hope that the one you've chosen has all the devices that you want uh, and has the, you know, the app on the phone in the way that you want and all these sorts of things. So having something that would sort of put a a, a facade over the top of all these uh, lower standards would mean that you get all these this interoperability, which is what is missing from IoT, because I should be able to go out and buy my super smart toaster and my super smart CCTV camera and my doorbell and, and whatever else it is, and not give a shit as to who's made it or what what um, back end it's got. It should just work and connect to my server and the server should go, okay, I see you've got this system, it's working on Bluetooth. I see you've got that system, it's working on Wi-Fi. I can deal with this all, it's fine. So if that's what the outcome of this is, then I think it's a good thing. Partially agree with you, but I, I still don't know why your toaster needs to talk to anything. I think there's a lot of people trying to sell crap for no other better reason than people keep using the fully functioning devices they've got and they're like how do we make these obsolete as quick as possible it's like tvs with those little boards on them that you know play media and i connect to stuff it's a great surefire way to have a terribly unpatched samba server sitting on your network as your tv's there blithely like spamming the crap out your mail server because it's just totally out of date at this point it i don't know i think they just they're just trying to make products that people have to buy and have to change i think yeah, so I'm, I'm with you on that. So I'm looking, I'm in the market, if anyone has a free one, I'm in the market for a new uh, washer-dryer, okay? You go out and you look at the top-end, top-end, most expensive ones that you think have all the clever buttons and all the things you might want, and they're all smart washer-dryers. And I think, what the bejesus do I need that for? Like, why on earth yeah. do I need to know the state of my washing machine whilst I'm not in the house? It's either washing or drying or not on. Or on fire. yeah and that's not going to be reported is it so i'm entirely with you i mean from my point of view i read these and i think of iot and i think mostly of home automation because that seems cool and funky but when it comes to unnecessary white goods having it no thank you or security items like my lock and my you know cctv and what have you no thank you so i know that other people want them but from my point of view it's it's lights and heating and you know nice sort of cool techie things to make your house a bit smarter i'm kind of surprised by this whole thing as well to be quite honest with you because it's not like open standards for iot don't already exist and here comes this foundry and it's apparently very cool it's you know it's got the likes of dell and canonical involved and that's great but the open connectivity foundation already exists not only that they are the main sponsors for iotivity which is, you know, open standards for IoT, which used to be the Open Internet, uh, Open Interconnect Consortium, 
which you remember had quite a bit of news a little while back. And I mean, that's got members like LG, Microsoft, Samsung, Canon, Cable Lab, Cisco, you know, quite a few big guys in there. So I'm wondering if something already exists, why are they going creating another one? And along with IOTivity, that's also linked into the Linux Foundation as well as an incubated project. Yeah, it's funny because none of those names are on these lists. They've got IOTech and CloudPugs and Cloud of Things and Ubuntu, like you mentioned, and Linaro and VMware, Zigbox, but not Microsoft or Intel or any of those other big players. So maybe we've got two groups starting up subgroups of groups of idea yeah it's a bit confusing already isn't it i mean if they're building a platform around the ocf stuff then great because that would interest me more because then you would know that you still had the standards going on between the two of them Um, that's my hope anyway because there's no again it's too many standards (laughs) well don't worry you know how if you can't be bothered to configure your server properly. You just stick Cloudflare in front of it and they will fix it for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Cloudflare have got yet another solution for IoT. They're going to stick their proprietary-ness in between your devices and the internet and they're going to magically solve all your problems. Yeah, and notice that their their logo that they use is a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> Says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, you're not going to get standards, are you, at the end of the day? Or you're not going to get everyone adhering to those standards. Jesse's dream is just not going to come true, even if you get some companies adhering to it. I mean, we have plenty of standards that are used in the modern world, but that's kind of the problem. We have yeah. plenty of standards. Looking at you, ISO. <laughs> but like, if Cloudflare comes and you know is successful with this, surely it's better than having all these insecure, unupdatable devices out there billions of them yeah so just just to sort of go over my understanding of this so that we're you know bring the listeners as to, as to where this is they put their firewall between your device in your home and the nasty big outside world so your device communicates through their firewall and all they do is they either open or close the ports uh, for various different service, services from that device so that you can uh, if they know that there's a, a sort of a vulnerability that will output things on one particular port they can close that whilst that vulnerability gets fixed and if it never gets fixed then that vulnerability never sees the outside world and therefore never sends ddoses and things that's that's roughly what they're sort of selling here isn't it pretty much but it just it seems like a bit of a pipe dream to me that they're going to be able to manage it all surely proper security updates are a far better solution well you kind of want all of them don't you you know you mean you want to drive safely, but at the same time, you'd kind of like to have airbags too. I suppose, belt and braces, yeah. Which is ironic because their example was um, how there was a vulnerability in Jeep when Chrysler had to recall 1.4 million vehicles from a vulnerability. Yeah, whereas if this was sitting in front of them, then they wouldn't have had to do that. Mm, apparently. I suppose I don't understand how the one with, with Jeep and, and the other examples there were sort of, sort of reeling off with the fact that um, most end users don't say yes to security updates. I mean, you know, they made the fair point that often when I get a thing that says my phone's ready to update, I'll put it off a bit because I'm busy using my phone. I want to do it when I'm at home and like not, you know, in the middle of my day sort of thing. And so people will sometimes say, oh, not now, not now. And if you get too used to that and just say, never remind me, I don't want to hear about it, you'll end up with all these vulnerabilities. But I don't understand why devices 
you know, like like a Jeep, if it's always connected, it's got some sort of 3G, 4G for updating the maps and, and what have you, why they can't just push them and force them to update in the background so that when they next, you know, turn their Jeep on, it, it is updated. Why are they making the consumer say yes or no? Just have a thing, you know, the rollback mechanism like they have in um, Ubuntu Snaps where you can update the snap and then when you next turn on it, it goes to the next version and if it fails, it fails safe. Or in this case, might fail to a, a, an unpatched version which needs a patch. But either way, you would think there would be a way of doing it in the background without people having to say yes and therefore not have this problem. Yeah, it probably takes money and they don't want to spend too much money on it either. Just stick a firewall in front of it. Problem solved. All right, then. Well, that'll do it for the news, I suppose. Uh, so this episode is sponsored by Entraware. And Entraware are a dedicated Linux computer manufacturer from the UK. And they ship various computers, laptops, um, a couple of desktops, even a server or two, running Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate or Crucially, no operating system if you uh, want to install your own. And they've got a great range of laptops from really cheap ones to real powerhouses. And they refresh them regularly with the um, the latest Intel processors um, and NVIDIA chips and that sort of thing. And they're ideal for pretty much anyone from someone who just wants to send a few emails and do a bit of browsing all the way up to graphic designers and uh, video editors and machine learning, that kind of stuff. Yes, you you said they had a a couple of desktops and things. They've got uh, three desktop options, uh, five laptops, and and a server you can go for. But one of the nice things is that once you pick the the sort of size and general um, overall looks and and feel of the one that you want, the sort of price range or what have you, you can then go in and tinker with them and select the processors, the amount of RAM you want, whether you want a second hard drive, things like this. So there's a nice amount of customization that you can do and, and pick all important things like UK keyboard layouts or US and what you want the, um, I suppose we have to call it a super key, don't we? So whether you want the uh, the Ubuntu logo, a Mate logo, Entryware logo, or the dirty Windows logo. So uh, yeah, you get to have a whole bunch of options as well once you've picked the laptop or desktop or server you want. Yeah, and they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And so if you're interested in buying a computer that runs Linux out of the box from a company who actually cares about Linux, then check out Entraware, entraware.com. And uh, if you do buy one of the machines, um, when you get to check out, do mention Late Night Linux, and then they'll know that we sent you. So check it out, entraware.com, and thanks to them for sponsoring us. And so a bit of admin then. Uh, thanks to everyone for supporting us with PayPal and Patreon. As I said last time, we're not going to be naming names, but um, if you do want to shout out specifically, then um, let us know. Um, and you can find out all the ways you can support us, uh, latenightlinux.com slash support. And you can get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. There's um, email and uh, Twitter and Google Plus and even Facebook. And something that came up this week was Reddit. Should we have a subreddit? I'm leaning towards no, fuck you. But if there's enough interest, then I suppose we could do it. I mean, what do you lot think? Reddit is the devil. What's, what's the massive hatred against Reddit? It's got really good, use, <laughs> useful stuff in it. You can vote up, vote down. Yeah, but I'm supposed to moan. hate it by default. It's Reddit. It's, I don't know, just the, the, the whole kind of vibe on there just seems to be a bit, I don't know negative and you can have good communications there you know but 
give it six months and you're going to be dealing with shit on a daily basis. The paper comes up, ha, you suck. Yeah, thanks for the feedback. Yeah. You know, please fuck off. Well, it's supposed to have that inbuilt mechanism, isn't it? Where you can downvote stuff like that. So you can, and there is moderation tools available. So, I mean, if it's your own Reddit, it's obviously it's distinctly easier to do it. And I think it's probably got a bad rap because it can suck people in very, very easily. It's a conversation on the internet. You're going to get stuck yeah. into it. But it's it's not bad as such, really. I mean, it, it sounds like a no. <laughs> well, it's a kind of no for now. We but have a it, comment section. <laughs> oh, yeah, you just can't resist a comment section. It was funny when you found out that we had one and you just couldn't oh, stay can, away I can from type it. on this. <laughs> <laughs> um so if people are interested then we can do it so get in contact with us one of the other ways um the telegram group is always a good way latenightlinux.com slash telegram and if you hassle us enough then maybe one of us will create that community uh subreddit sorry uh but until then i don't know not that interested i mean the main concern is mostly fragmentation of where you can be seen and heard you know, because at the moment it's Telegram and then the comments, and then it's Telegram and comments and Twitter, and then it's Telegram and comments and Twitter and Reddit, and then it's Lions and Tigers and Bears. You get the drift. Yeah. Mastodon. Mast- yeah, I was <laughs> going to say Mastodon, and uh, well, there's always email. There's LO as, as well. Yeah, well, don't talk to me about LO. <laughs> um, and what was that um, bloody one that Paddy always used to get us on? Uh, wanted to get us Ring on. Ring or something, was it? No, there's the one that's turned into a right outright fest. Facebook? Uh, no. <laughs> I thought that was Ello. Hang on a minute. No, I'm forgetting it. No, it's not Ello, is it? Uh, anyway, let's not promote them because there's a bunch of bastards on there. The far be it from me to turn the conversation away from the source. Go on. If you do mention it on um, the Telegram group, do hashtag Reddit so we can find it through all of the other important conversations that are going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Um, I just had a bit of a sort of shower thought the other day, and that was about how do you talk to normal people about free and open source software? And I just thought, like, you know, if you were given a platform, say, on uh, a TV show or a, a big podcast or a radio show or something where you could go on and talk about what's good about free and open source software and Linux and that kind of thing, how would you go about doing that? Where do you start? Where where do you go with it? Do you talk about the security benefits? Do you talk about my freedoms and all that kind of stuff? Like, where would you start? Do you go full-blown RMS with it? Or do you try and be a bit more uh, moderate with your views? And I don't know, it just seemed like something that I'd want to get your opinions on. How would you go about it? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good question. I think it's uh, useful if Phelim started. Oh, I see. Right, thanks. Let me get hit by the bus first. <laughs> well, okay, the first question is, should you be trying to talk to, should you be doing advocacy? I mean, I always call myself a FOSS advocate, but should you just let them get on with it in their Windows and Mac and iPhone world? I think it depends on who you're talking to, because I think the day of IT people not knowing what it is is pretty much gone. I think you're almost struggling to find someone who doesn't know what it is. At least from what I've seen, anyway. Um, it doesn't mean that they use it, but they, know, they certainly know what it is. I guess it's kind of one of those things where you don't want to come across as Stallman. Yet yeah, I think you do have to somewhat stick to a principle. Uh, well, if it's important to you, anyway. Um, like, I, I'm not keen on BSD licenses. I just think that's... 
not very fair to people contributing to a project. So I would always sort of err on the side of GPL, mainly by the fact of trying to educate people on the fact that you can contribute to something, work together on a problem, and actually get a solution to it. Much like the way that you don't have a limited vocabulary on maths because, you know, somebody owns the multiplication symbol or something daft like that. I mean, that's how I'd go if I was talking to somebody who was like really not into IT as such and say, just because there's the most dominant in your face method right now is Microsoft and Apple. It doesn't actually mean it's the only way because the world that you don't see, like the Facebooks, the internet of things, all of those delightful sort of things that are hidden away, they're all running open software. So, you know, it is a real thing. Uh, Because I remember a long, long time ago, it was like late 90s, I was doing a website and uh, they said, what do you mean it's free? You can't have a, you know, it's obviously not very good. And you're like, no, it doesn't work like that. And it's a frustrating thing to have to do, you know. Well, hang on a second. If the source code is all open and anyone can look at it, that means it's not secure at all, right? Yes, absolutely. Please continue <laughs> with that. <laughs> no, but that you seriously get people saying that to you. You know how how do you say to them? Oh, no, if it's written properly, and you know, it's it, it becomes a very frustrating sell to people. I, I think you have to say, you know, I've I've seen the builder build my house. I know where all the bricks went. It doesn't mean you push through the walls, though, does it? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's a good analogy. I'll remember that one. But I don't think that you're going to be... I would go with the same sort of uh, vibe, by the way, Phelan. And I think you're going to be stuck in the sort of ethereal benefits versus the real world benefits. Because I think one of the major benefits is that, let's say, let's say Ubuntu stops supporting the phone that you've bought. And there is nothing to stop you from making, you know, carrying on uh developing for that phone now maybe the phone is is too big a chunk to have to have bitten off um and you would need a whole team and you need a lot of money in order to to get it to where you want it to be but let's say you know i have a absolute favorite photo downloading software and the guy that uh writes it as it's open source and if he suddenly uh, retired and decided not to carry on writing that i could take that code and i could either learn how to uh, add to it and write and improve it or i could you know pay someone to say oh can you add this feature or what have you but the problem is, is that a lot of people you know if we're talking to the normals as you say we're assuming they're not computer savvy computer literate and don't want to do the coding themselves they want it just delivered on a plate and the idea that you would be able to take the code and change it isn't like available to them i mean even myself i'm you know i'm no coder so I can't I can't start to think, oh, I'll just tinker with this bit of software and edit this program to how I want it. You know, my, my bash scripts are about as as uh, advanced as I get. So it's a case of getting across the concept that this can be done and it's useful because it it can benefit people further down the line, you know, downstream. But whether that's sort of a little bit too as I said, ethereal, a little bit too sort of out of reach for people to grasp the actual benefit or whether they take that sort of idea and, and that influence and think, actually, that's a useful feature, even if I don't need it. That That's the sort of the difficulty of explaining it is that it always seems a little bit, the benefits seem a little bit just too far out of reach to be benefits to you right now. Whereas, you know, bit of software that works straight out of the box, closed or not, we're done. 
Well, I was going to get to that, this I want it to just work situation. Do you not feel when you try and sell someone on Linux or open source software that you have to kind of almost make excuses for the fact that it's going to be a bit buggy and not necessarily work 100% of the time? Like the way Windows works 100% all the time, or, you know, Apple hasn't axed yet another project because they decided that a physical representation of a calendar was a genius idea. Like, I don't know. I think all software is buggy. I think people have a slightly rose-tinted view of things when it's their favorite OS. You know, if if you're an Apple fanboy or whatever, I'm sure you might stick up for Apple when maybe you should go, yeah, yeah, maybe it was a bit rubbish, all right. You know, um, I, I like my stuff just to work too. I mean, it's not like I want to sit in front of my machine and, you know, have it needlessly break continually. So, I mean, I'd, I'd use that as a... I think, you know, my time is worth something too. So I don't want to be sitting there with stuff breaking all the time. It's mainly why I do use open source software. Ike, you've been very quiet on this. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't notice. <laughs> is it just something that you don't do then? You just don't talk to normals? No, I mean, I've no need. You know, like for people in my daily life, me... I look at it as preaching. I'm not into preaching. I don't like having things rammed down my throat. And I really don't like it when others do to me. You know, I've got principles and I try and keep by my principles. So for me then to go to other people's like, you should really use this thing. You know, it's, I just see no situation in my life where that's either appropriate or warranted. But what about if someone comes to you with a, a knackered, you know, a broken laptop and it's just Windows is just being shit? But that's the thing. It just wouldn't happen. Like, there is no circumstance in my life for that to happen, you know? I mean, like, for for example, like, uh, my friend John, best friend John, right? He's, he knows about Linux and he's, he uses Solus, don't get me wrong. And, uh, his kid had, well, both the kids actually have Solus on the laptops, funnily enough. But they're more tech orientated for the most part. So for me in my life, there is, like that would be the the extent of the conversations I would have in real life uh, about Solus or Linux or open source or free software, any of that. There's just no situation. But to go with your example, if someone came up to me and they had a broken computer, would I put Linux on it? Not without asking their permission, no. Oh, of course, I'd never just force it upon someone. I would yeah. explain to them. Yeah, I mean, I'd try and fix it what's there. But, you know, if it was totally bricked and say, like, I didn't have a Windows recovery disk, I would say to them, it's like, you know, I can put this on there for you. And then I would start explaining to him, it's like, you know, it's free, you don't have to pay for anything. And then explaining why it's slightly different and then why some things aren't going to work on there because you have to tell them, right? You know, you're not going to be running PaintShop Pro on this anytime soon. Well, that's that's the heart of what I was getting to with this. You know, when you come to that situation, how do you sell them on it? Do you say to them, look, I could reinstall Windows and it's going to be really long, or we could just be really easy and I could put, X Linux distribution, which we don't need to argue about. Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to sell them on it, I think, is updates or control over the updates. Like, if I had yeah. to sell it to anyone, it's like, you know when you're sat there five minutes before a meeting and the poxy laptop goes to fucking update itself again and reboots you five minutes before the meeting because I've had this happen to me. <laughs> it's like, well, you won't have any of that on Linux. You know, like, you call the shots, whatever system you're on. You know, whatever you want it to do, it will do, not when you tell it to. It boot up quicker and it run faster. So that's the the usual stuff you give them. But I, I think it'd be very, very hard for someone who's not technical, someone who's a computer user, but not really such a geek as such. I 
don't think you'd be able to sell them on a philosophy. I, I just don't think you'd be able to do it. Not a, not a first. But it's, it's funny that what you've said there, you've basically paraphrased RMS with his, um, if you don't call, control the program, the program controls you. I mean, that's basically what he just said. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I mean, in terms, but you have to put it in a way that the, the philosophy isn't front and center, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a more practical example, like the updates and rebooting thing. Yeah, pragmatic application of the philosophy. Yeah, I suppose it's doable. But I just, I just don't like preaching. Yeah, that's why I always use the word advocate rather than evangelist, because I advocate it if you want to ask me about it, but I'm not going to start preaching to you. I'm not going to start evangelizing the good word about free software and Linux. Maybe I just don't have enough real people in my life. Well, I don't know. Being stuck in that flat most of the time, the odd trip to the shop to buy bloody Red Bull. <gasps> I, I, I resemble that remark. I bought Froobs. <laughs> and Red Bull. <laughs> that monster probably instead. I think you have to pick your battles too, and I think you have to understand who you're talking to. I think that's the main important thing, where you're not going to sell the wrong message to the wrong person. Find out what's important about what they like, and then... Maybe it doesn't work for them, you know. You know, if iTunes is important to them, yeah, don't even bother. But if getting access to their photos in ten years' time is, yeah, maybe you have a case. You know, so it's more the yeah. framing of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, the only problem is I don't know how you scale that. I haven't a clue. Unless maybe Stallman is a troll, and he's setting the bar purposely so high and so <laughs> extreme that he's just waiting for the new guy to swoop right in and like suck up all the other people. Uh, Maybe not. I look forward to seeing the comment section and to figure out how everyone else does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do leave a comment because um, it's it is it's something I think about a lot. Trying to spread the word without coming across as a nutter, basically. So uh, yeah, do do tell us how you do it. But um, I suppose time gets away from us, so we better wrap it up. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks as normal with episode eleven. Oh yeah, we didn't make a big song and dance about getting to double figures. Vindicated in my choice of zero one for episode one. Yes. Let's try and get to 100 and give me a problem with numbering, please. Anyway, um, so yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. I've been Joe. I've been Jesse. Doodaloo. I've been Phelan. I'm still likey. See you later. Auf Wiederhorn. <laughs> no. See you later is the last word. No, it isn't. <laughs>